welcome to the Squats and Science podcast hosted by USA National Team Head Coach Aaron Comesti and SNS Barbell Owner and Coach Joe Cristando. In this podcast, we go over various powerlifting topics in detail and use real-life examples to help you better understand key concepts. Welcome to Squats and Science Podcast, Episode 7. It's Coach Joe here with Coach Arian Kamesi. Uh, how's it going? How are you? I'm going. I'm doing well. Cool. Uh, what you been up to since our last episode? Uh, the usual hopping around from uh, meets to meets. The, the last one I was at was actually local, so that made it a little bit easier. That was the Ray Williams Classic. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's past uh, Sunday. So at least that one I got to sleep at home and just drive over there in the morning. Yeah, pretty easy travel time. Yeah. That's cool. I saw you squatting the other day. How was that? (laughs) (laughs) Trying to get a a little bit of training in um, since I'm at home now. So did a squat and bench day of fives, and then I did a squat and bench day of threes. And after even just like three sets of five that first session, I was like sore all over, like quads, (laughs) abs, lower back, chest, triceps. It was like my first workout ever. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. And we got Burke signed up for a meet. He's doing a bench-only meet. Uh, he, someone signed him up for a meet, but I don't think it's going to happen. No, he's going to do it. He said he was going to do it. Uh, does, I think he has to buy a membership, too, then. No, it's a, non, it's a non-sanctioned meet. Oh, non-sanctioned, so he doesn't yeah. have to do the membership. He doesn't have to do a membership. He said he's going to try, try and bench 400. Does he have to wear a singlet? I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a semi-official meet. <laughs> Uh, all right, so for this episode, we, we're going to kind of go back into some uh, technical talk. And um, following up on our last episode where we, where we did powerlifting um, topics, we discussed warming up and attempt selection. Um, so now we're going to talk about what to do after a meet. Um, there's a bunch of different thought processes on how to approach this, so that's what we're going to dive into. Um, so after you have a lifter that competes, what do you, what do you normally do to get them back into training following a meet? Yeah, I figured for anyone who, who is following along on our, our podcast, it seems like the natural uh, path is like, okay, we talked about warming up. We talked about temp selection on a meet. Now people always wonder after they compete, like how many days should I take off or should I do some light stuff or anything like that? Uh, and obviously it varies. Uh, depending on the person and how sore they feel afterwards. Some people feel like really trashed after me and some people feel great. But I'd like to at least convince the person to take like two days off completely from everything to let their body recover. Yeah. Uh, and uh, on the top end, if they are really trashed or whatever, maybe uh, like five five to seven days completely off from uh, lifting. Uh, yeah. What about for you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Same same deal. It depends on how beat up the lifter is. Uh, take into account how hard the prep was. Um, you know, if if I have a lifter who just kind of we put them through the ringer going into a meet, I'll advise them to take a week off and just kind of let their body heal and mentally give them a break from it. Um, but on the flip, some people they compete and they feel fine. So, you know, a week is probably unnecessary. And it's case by case. And personally, I've had. I've had both where I've competed and I've 
I felt like I, you know, like I did nothing. So I just kind of go back into it. And that last meet I did in December, it felt like a truck hit me, which was the first time that ever happened to me. So I took, I took almost a week off. Um, yeah. So it's case by case scenario. Yeah. Definitely some time off is advisable. Yeah. Just because, um, you might've developed some kind of, uh, muscular damage and fatigue from the maxing out and probably a lot of like mental fatigue especially if you got all jacked up and listened to your favorite song and took ammonia and stuff like that and so it's a little bit of a higher risk situation trying to get right back in the training especially if you jump back into too much volume you might cause some kind of injury and if you're already dealing with any kind of um like tendonitis in the knees or or like elbows and like that then you try and jump back right into volume. You're never going to be able to dissipate that um, tendonitis, and then you have to deal with the with the whole training cycle. Um, for for me, yeah, I've never felt like com- completely trashed uh, where I need to take a full week off. But usually for me, I just like tell myself like let's say if I compete on Saturday, um, I just take like maybe Sunday through Wednesday off, um, regardless of how I feel, and just do a couple light sessions to end the, the following week. So maybe I'll do like a light bench session on a Friday and a light squat and develop session on a Saturday and then start up a new training cycle on Monday. Just so you have like some, some practice in, in the competition lifts or whatever you're doing. And just to like get your body moving a little bit, get some blood flowing, maybe do some kind of accessory work for your back or, or triceps or whatever like that, just to get, um, everything kind of loosened up. Yeah. I, I find that if I take a whole week without any kind of movement, uh, <clears throat> the motor patterns start to get a little rusty. Um, so I definitely would go in at the end of the week and maybe hit just a light light squat session or a light bench session just to get it moving. Um, yeah. And then, um, so you're talking about competition lifts after a meet, um, but there's also the, the window here to add in some variables. Um, some variations on the competition lift, pauses, uh, specialty bars, stuff like that. How do you approach that? Yeah, usually I either talk with the lifter um, in like email or on the phone um, and like kind of discuss what happened, especially if I wasn't at the meet. Um, we'll discuss like, okay, how do warm-ups go or how do the weight cut go? Um, you made this many attempts for squat, bench, and deadlift. These are the PRs. Um, so, so like then we kind of analyze, well, did the programming work before? or did it not work, what kind of adjustments we need to make. And based on those analysis or maybe stuff that I do on my own, like watching the attempts if I'm not at the competition, is then deciding what variations to put in. Because if the person doesn't need some kind of specific variation, like if they don't need to build up, let's say, tightness in the hole, then there's not necessarily a reason to put in pause squats or something like that. You can maybe do something different, like maybe a high bar squat, where you get like more uh, a bigger range of motion and kind of give the shoulders a break. So it really depends um, on what the, the lifter needs, but definitely it is doing more variations just to kind of get the body moving in a different movement pattern, maybe giving certain joints a break and um, kind of like just a, a mental break of like not always doing the competition squat over and over again. Yeah. Um, you were talking about tendonitis and, myself and then some of my lifters you know during a meat prep it kind of flares up and this is a perfect time to to get around that by implementing like the safety squat bar or high bar which you actually recommended me to do last time and it it worked really well um let my shoulder kind of heal up and eventually i was able to move back into like uh normal training although i'm still doing high bar but um 
Yeah, yeah. For, for some people I'll do, depending on what they have access to as far as equipment is either high bar or front squat, or if they have the, yeah, the safety squat bar, um, do the safety squat bar. Even for some people I'll do it with, uh, basically in the front. So it's a front squat, safety squat bar, just so they don't have to deal with holding onto the, the bar in that weird position. Um, that way it just, yeah, it gives the, uh, whatever problems you have, wrist, elbows, shoulders, a, uh, break actually kind of bringing back in the frequency and the volume. Yeah. Also, I have a lot of lifters who they, they get kind of bored of just squat bench deadlift and post meet, they'll ask for, you know, just something to switch it up. So I don't really have an object, objection to just implementing a variable just because a lifter wants to do something different. It might not be like, um, like prescription based. So I'm not giving it to them to do, to fix something, but just because mentally they want to do something different. So, you know, if I have a lifter who pulls sumo and they ask for a conventional or just a different movement, I have, I don't really have a problem with that. Yeah. And, and especially if I usually do like a, um, two times frequency where beginning of the week might be higher volume, lower intensity and end of the week will be higher intensity and lower volume at the beginning of the week when I'm doing more volume work at like lower RPEs, like six or seven, that's when I might throw in more variations and things just to change it up. So like, I, yeah, I might throw in like, let's say feet up bench or high bar squat or RDLs. Um, also like dumbbell work if they want to do like dumbbell shoulder press or dumbbell incline press. And then end of the week when they're doing the higher intensity stuff, then I'll still put in some competition lifts. That way they're getting that competition practice in still with the heavier weights and the lower reps. So you kind of get a little bit of, uh, of both in there. Yeah, it's good to find a little bit of balance there. Um, is there any, anything else you do in terms of uh, variations post-meet? Like, uh, yeah, then the rest goes into like kind of like how long of an off-season you're going to have, and that might depend on what level the lifter is and like where they are in their schedule. So like if, like let's say, some of the elite-level elite lifters will do, let's say, nationals and then they'll do the arnold and then they'll do worlds possibly after worlds they'll have like a little bit of off off season take a break from all the meets before they build back up for nationals so maybe that's when you start doing really more uh drastic um extreme or whatever you want to call it as far as variations where you might just do i've seen people that take like i think blaine sumner sometimes will take four weeks off from barbell work and wow. build all like kettlebells bodyweight movements um drills explosive drills like that um i think for jts chad and, and max had some other lifters in their off season do a lot of more like conditioning work like go do sprints and various jumps and uh, lateral work just because like in the squat you're always working in one plane in the bench press you're pretty much just moving in one plane deadlift you're only going one plane so you're not getting those other planes and those other um, movement patterns uh working throughout the year so if you do have some extended time off, then you want to go into that. That can be beneficial just to kind of um, do something different and kind of make sure that you're still training and strong in those other movement patterns and those other planes and not kind of developing some kind of um, imbalance. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, in Brooklyn, we don't really have the space for for sprints and sled pulls and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless people want to, during the summer, if they want to go outside and do some sprints down the, the, the street or whatever like that, um, 
you guys still do have access to a lot of dumbbell work, so it's good to work the imbalances on each side if you're doing lunges or split squats or, like I said, dumbbell shoulder press, dumbbell incline press, dumbbell rows, stuff like that. Um, you can always do, like, even with your lunges, um, even with a bar, you can do, like, side lunges, stuff like that, working um, different directions. Yeah. Uh, I usually prescribe unilateral work for a lot of people, but especially post meet, and especially if I know a lifter has like some kind of imbalance or a weakness that that they need to work on. Yeah. Uh, also, use I like to use the post meet period to um, kind of just like reassess or just take a look at you know the whole picture. So I don't know if if I think a lifter might be more optimal to pull conventional versus sumo or high bar versus low bar or something like that, this is like the perfect time to start experimenting with that. And usually if I, if I prescribe it for them, we'll do it for like a block or two and kind of see how they respond to it. If, if it looks like they might be better served doing the, the vari- the variation on the movement long-term, um, you know, you, you probably want to do this after a meet because there's no pressure. There's no, there's no loss in, in, spending two blocks or you know a certain amount of time doing that movement yeah definitely i've had people switch from maybe high bar to low bar or maybe moving their grip out on bench or switching yeah between conventional sumo um and yeah it's best to do it after after a meet and rather than leading into the meet um and then also i think it's important to be careful of like how how fast you throw in the frequency or the volume in that new movement because the person might not be prepared for that kind of uh, volume or even that kind of range of motion. For example, if I have anyone who uses like a very narrow grip on bench and I'm trying to move them out, I always try to move them out slowly. So maybe like an inch on one finger at a, on one hand at a time rather than just completely going like max grip, slowly move them out over time. And also maybe do it only on like one of the four sessions in the week um, or maybe one session full range of motion and one session, like limited range of motion, like a, a floor press or a board press, um, just to not stress that um, new movement too much. Same thing like with a sumo, maybe it'll be one day sumo, one day conventional, or maybe even like one day sumo and one day sumo block pull, so they're not stretching their body too much in that bottom position. Yeah, I take a similar approach. I'll even do like half, like if they have a, I don't know, four by seven one day, I'll do two by seven wider grip, two by seven normal grip, and then kind of slowly build, build up the tolerance and, um, you know, have them practice the newer, newer grip or whatever variable that we're introducing. It's also a good time to work on technical stuff, which I think you mentioned. So, you know, after a meet, if you know that you have some technical issues to address, you can kind of take it a little bit slower and, and start to really hammer that stuff. And I, you know, I did that after the, the December meet, because you know my sumo was trash, and, <laughs> and and I just I took like a month, a month or two, and just kind of really started hammering, you know, all the stuff that I needed to work out with that movement. And you know, I got I think I got a little bit better at it, but it's a you know it's a really good time to do it since there's no no stress of a competition coming up, and you know volume the intensity will be a little bit lower, and you can manipulate the volume to accommodate for it too. Yeah, I'm, yeah, it's like the same thing in a, almost like any part of life. Like like if you were in school and you did a project, after you turn in the project, your your professor might like grade you and review everything with you of how you guys did. Same thing like at work, you might have like a quarterly review or an annual review where your boss will tell you what you did well and what you didn't do well and ways to improve. 
So I think it's the same thing either after each meet or after like your your year schedule. You basically with yourself or with your coach kind of do a review of of all aspects, whether it's technique, um, whether it's how much you progress, whether it's uh, your conditioning or your body weight or whatever like that. And you basically see like for technique, for example, you would see what was your technique like when you were doing the lower weights, higher volume stuff? What was your technique like when you get to the heavier weights? And then what was your technique like in the actual competition? And then not only seeing if there is a difference, but then trying to think about why there was a difference and then how you can change that. So some people, for example, when it gets to a meet and it gets heavier, heavier squats, they tend to like slow down their descent because they're freaking out and then cut their depth and maybe tip over. So then you might have to think, okay, well, why is that? Maybe they didn't train heavy enough singles in training and maybe they weren't confident underneath the, the weight in competition. So maybe next cycle you throw in some heavier singles, maybe some overload work um, leading up to the meet to build their confidence up. So when the meet comes, they can kind of execute the same exact technique as they've been doing in training. Yeah, definitely. Um, so another big component of competing is the mental aspect. Um, one, going into a meet, it's pretty, it can be mentally taxing prepping for a meet. A meet itself is, can be mentally exhausting. And then after a meet, uh, a lifter will kind of go through, you know, some, some mental work of, um, people call it post meet blues or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, some people get really excited and they want to jump back in. Some people are just, you know, they're kind of over it. Um, how, how do you approach those different cases with a lifter? Yeah, I've gotten in a couple of cases like that. I would say most of my people fall in two that you kind of mentioned that we've discussed before. One is like either they're really excited to get back into training. They already know their next competition. They may have already like signed up for the next competition um, and they're ready to go. And then on the flip side, it might be someone who like, yeah, they just put a lot of time and effort and money into a meet and maybe they weren't happy with the performance and they just want to take some time off. So in, in the first method, if they're like really excited to go into training, it's good. But I always still try and give that time off. So I still try and force them, okay, to like calm down, take two or three days off to let your body recover. And then we'll do maybe two or three light sessions the week after they meet to kind of get ease back in and then start right back into, into training. And on the flip side, um, if someone's like very like disappointed and wants to take time off, I, I let them take their time off. Sometimes just like giving them two weeks off maybe they'll like not go train at all maybe they'll go do other stuff hang out with their friends or whatever like that maybe they'll go in and, and into the gym and just do their own stuff whatever they feel is fun for them whatever exercise or maybe cardio or whatever just just to do something fun to kind of have a break from like that like rigorous um training and then usually they're like message you and they're ready to start up again yeah and i, I was telling you about this other case that i had with a couple people where and I've actually, I've experienced this myself, but it hasn't affected me like in terms of motivation like other people, but I've had a couple lifters where post, post meet, they, you know, maybe a, like halfway into the next block or like a block or two in they get all kind of in their head about how their strength has dropped off, um, which happens after you peak for a meet, you're, you're not going to be smashing the weights that you were going into a meet. And as a consequence, they start to feel a little demotivated. I've had I've had this happen with like two or three people. Um, but, you know, I kind of just try and tell them like it's just part of the game. You you're not gonna you're not gonna do a meet and then immediately be back in the gym hitting, you know, what you were hitting going into it. Um, and it, you know, it's a building process. So 
all of this volume, even though it sucks, like you kind of have to do it to, to build back up to that. And then as you were saying, like, you know, try and convince them or tell them that like you can look at it as volume PRs or rep PRs or technical, technical PRs. Like if, if we're working on something, um, in terms of technique, um, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that, but yeah, it's basically, you have to try and like, um, communicate with the athlete that they're only focusing on one variable. So a lot of people only focus on one rep max, or maybe some people will focus between one to five rep max for a single set. And that that's only one variable in all this. And as you become more and more experienced, um, those numbers are going to be harder to break. So you need to look at other data points or other variables that do affect how strong you get. And that can be like looking at volume PR. So if you did three sets of five at a certain weight, last cycle well then this cycle you should be trying to break that three sets of five um pr not just the one set of five um same thing with whatever else if it's four sets of six or something like that and if it's on a different variation as well if 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 like you're always doing let's say close grip bench and whenever your close grip bench gets stronger in the cycle then you're, you're you're hitting a better competition bench then you should be focusing on trying to hit the volume prs as well on on the close grip bench the other thing is yes yeah, is, is technique for some of my lifters that maybe had like issues with depth out of meat after the meat is like working on depth with like let's say tempo squats or um, competition squats with lighter weights um, to kind of grease the groove and, and as you're like seeing each week like okay your your depth is getting better and more consistent on every rep well then you should see that as progress and as a success is something that's going to transfer over into those one rep max or three rep max or anything like that and and then even beyond that if someone's like trying to cut weight for a weight class or maybe be closer to their weight class instead of doing like a big water cut, well then they can start tracking their body weight and their calories or their macros. And that can be progress is seeing a chart of your like weekly average body weight going down. And so even if you aren't hitting those, those one rep maxes right now, you can see you're at least improving in your body weight that may move you down to a lower weight class while maintaining your strength and make you more competitive. So it, it's a lot of different variables to look at and to keep track of and not just focus on the one. Yeah, I think I think that's crucial um, for an athlete and then for a coach to instill in an athlete that there's there's other variables outside of just the one rep max. And in terms of motivation, it, you know, you could look at those things and say like, hey, I, I am improving or, you know, this is actually paying off and I'm not I'm not just weak. <laughs> yeah, like like one of the things that um that we have on our on our programming sheet is that total progress. Um, I track the total tonnage. Some people call it volume, some people call it tonnage, but sets times, reps times weight on all yep. the, the main lifts and the close variations. And I group all the squats together, all the benches together, and all the deadlifts together. And you can see for each session and each week uh, and each month how much you're doing. So like after a competition when we're going into like a volume block and trying to build up that volume or the tonnage whatever you want to call it then you can look at the numbers or even on a graph and see like are you doing more volume on squats this cycle compared to last cycle are you doing more bench than last one are you looking at more deadlift or even within a month so maybe you had like previous cycle maybe you had like a really good week on volume but it completely trashed and you weren't able to recover and, you, and then you had to drop it down but this time you're able to recover and be able to stay higher for more weeks and be able to do build up more fatigue 
So again, that's something that you can show the athlete and show like, okay, hey, listen, you improved over last cycle about how much volume you can handle without uh, fatiguing too much. And so that's going to be building more muscle mass or building more base level strength that you can then use for the, the following blocks of the cycle to be able to do more weight. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty smart one. I also use velocity PRs to, to show people that they're improving in the off season. You know, if you can hit a set of five faster than you did last, last block or going into a meet or, you know, whatever, however long ago, then that's definitely a, a PR that's worth counting. Yeah. And, and even the putting the velocity with like a video of technique. So if you are working on your technique and you can show them like, Hey, look, in this cycle, you're maybe keeping your chest up better and in a better position on the, coming out of the hole in the squat compared to last cycle. And you can reinforce that by saying, look at the velocities now. That Now that you're in more an efficient position with the same weight, you're moving at a faster speed. Yeah, definitely. Um, how about cardio or conditioning? How do you approach that post-meet? Yeah, so we discussed um, some of that. And um, like, like, like all these questions, it kind of depends on the person. So... I'll have lifters that maybe have cut down a weight class like from the 63s down to 57s or 57s and 52s. And if they want to do that cut, then you need enough time to start doing some cardio and reducing the calories to slowly start bringing the body weight down closer to the, the next body weight limit and then maybe water cut the rest. So if I have someone that wants to cut down a weight class and then we look into doing cardio maybe like um, two times a week if they're like training already four times a week, so it kind of gives you six days of training and one day off. Um, or if maybe they're already training five times a week, maybe we do cardio one time on the off day and one time during one of, after one of the training sessions. Um, same thing if someone maybe got like too, too high above their weight class and they have to cut too much down to get to that weight class, we'll maybe want to stay closer to that weight class. So we'll, we'll do a little bit of cardio maybe just like once a week and, and make sure we don't get too heavy in the off-season. That way it's an easier cut down closer to competition. Um, and also just in general, doing some cardio after the competition builds up your, um, your tolerance to handle more volume so that you're able to recover a little bit faster. And so that way you can handle a little bit more volume in training. If you're like completely out of shape, um, like I said for me, like I hadn't trained in like three or four weeks and I hadn't done any kind of cardio or anything like that. So just doing three sets of squat on five, uh, three sets of five on squat, just completely made me sore, and I, I didn't even want to do any other accessory work or come yeah. back for a few days. So if you're training regularly and doing the cardio re regularly, you can build up your uh, your your workload and be able to handle more of the competition lifts or whatever else you're trying to do. Yeah, I also like to use um, I I got this from Burke, but um, like using HIIT squats. So at least. If you're doing conditioning and cardio, you still have them doing um, practicing the barbell movement. So it'll be like three sets of 15 at like, I don't know, 30% or something. And then like timed rest periods between them, like maybe 60 seconds or 90 seconds. And then doing like a couple intervals of those. Um, I've used those for a few people post-meet uh, and they've worked pretty well. Yeah, that yeah, it seems like that would definitely help. I've never really done that before, and that's interesting because um, I never go like really that high reps on the main lifts. I might do it on accessory work, like let's say abs might go up to 20, 25 reps, maybe like triceps go up to 12 or 15 reps. Um, but it definitely seems like that would work because it's um, more specific to the movement and to those muscles being worked. 
because like maybe building up your conditioning on jogging is not going to really help you for a, a, a full squat just because the, the joints aren't moving the same range of motion. Um, so definitely doing it on, on specific ball movements seems like it would be beneficial. And if you are going to do cardio, usually doing a greater range of motion will help too. So for example, doing a Stairmaster or a, um, or a bike will move your hips through a bigger range of motion to be more beneficial than doing the, the treadmill. Yeah, I try and steer people away from from walking or running, uh, unless they're doing sprints or something like that, but something that might be a little bit more specific to powerlifting would be beneficial. Yeah. Um, is there any specific scenarios that you've had, like where you've had to, I don't know, just something at, kind of out of the norm that you've had to address post-meet or with an athlete? Uh, so it, if I have anything out of the norm, it would be if for some reason the lifter has like two or maybe even three competitions like back to back that are yeah. close. So there have been times where like, um, I have a lifter, maybe we'll do like regionals in August and then do nationals in October. So maybe they have eight weeks or even less than eight weeks when you consider the meet weeks and like the deloading of um between competitions so maybe they only have like six legit weeks of training between the competitions or even sometimes it's even less than that because um a number of years back our, our raw nationals used to be in july and so lifters that competed at raw worlds in june had to turn around and maybe with three weeks training compete at raw nationals to get their spot back on the team for the following year so in those situations you kind of have to like one get right back to training as fast as you can and two, kind of jump right back into a peaking cycle um, because you need to keep the, the weights heavy and the body prepared to uh, max out again in the next competition. So then you might not really have time to take a week or two off. You might not have time to do um, a whole lot of volume or, or cardio, um, anything like that. You might have to just get right back into the competition list for heavy, make sure your body weight's down, and go right into the next competition. Yeah, Do you when, when that, that scenario comes up, do you – take into consideration the the first peaking phase for the first meet like do you adjust that at all to compensate for the fact that you know that they're going to have to go right into another peaking block or you just kind of just see how it goes from there yeah so if they if they have to do the both competitions then we might have to assess which competition is more important and then prioritize the training for the more important one so if the first one's more important then you yeah you do like your big peak for the first one and then for the second one, you would just maybe do whatever you can to maintain and maybe you hit like 95% of the other meat. Um, and if it's the other way, if the second one's a more important one, then you try and figure out what's like the minimum you can do in the first one, depending on whether you need to qualify or if you need to hit a certain total, or maybe you just have to kind of just do the meat. Um, so maybe in the first one, you would only do like a first attempt or maybe a first and second attempt. So it's almost like a training session for you, like a heavy training uh, day. And then focus on the peak for the second one. Um, and then on top of that, if it if one's like a single lift and one's like a three lift, like I've had some people maybe do like um, bench worlds and then raw worlds. Uh, well, then with the with the bench, you can probably max out the bench at bench worlds and still be able to recover fast enough to kind of do like a full peak again for raw worlds. Um, and you're still doing your heavy squats and deadlifts in the meantime. Right. Yeah. Seems like a good way to approach it uh anything else you want to cover in terms of post meat no i think i think that kind of 
gives everyone an idea of um, kind of what to focus on as far as the rest and recovery at first and making sure you ease back into training rather than just like jumping into the deep end and then making sure you kind of analyze where what where you're at, how your training went and where you want to go forward as far as uh, technique, the programming, um, body weight, um, what competitions to do, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think we got it pretty well covered. Yeah. Uh, what else you got coming up? Any any meets coming up or any interesting competitions? Uh, of course, there's there's more meets coming up. So we got <laughs> <laughs> we got um, next weekend. I'm um, going to Russellville, Arkansas, because um, USAPL is looking to develop the state. And the meet director, Robert Keller, is from Florida. He lived in Arkansas for a little while, so he wants to run the, the competition and asked me to come out and help him. Um, we have a um, couple members in Arkansas that are bringing some equipment over, and then um, uh, also a person in Tennessee who's bringing some stuff over. So we're all kind of flying in there or driving in there, meeting up, running a, like a, a 40 lifter competition, um, and hoping that, that we can develop the state maybe to start running more and more meets in there. And then after that is um, the North American Powerlifting Championships. So that will be in San Jose, Costa Rica. So that one will be a cool place to go to. I've gone there a couple times before. It's pretty pretty fun. Um, obviously hanging out with all the lifters from different countries. But then there's lots of stuff to do as far as like drinking, zip lining, uh, hot springs, um, all that kind of stuff. That's cool. Yeah, we got Sarah and Lauren are going. Yeah, we got we got from the team. We have uh, Sarah and Lauren competing. Um, Sarah is in the open, and Lauren is the Masters one. So they've been doing well on training, um, communicating with the coaches and everything like that, getting all their stuff in. They got their plane tickets, so they're ready to go. Sarah's actually got her like last heavy squat and deadlift session today, I believe, and bench tomorrow. Um, she's gonna try and give that deadlift world record a shot. That uh, she has been doing in like USPL meets, but that doesn't count as a world record. So now she gets her, her shot, the world record. We'll see if she can finally get that on the record books. Um, so we got them two competing. And then after that, the following, I think it's the following week. Oh no, it's August 17 and 18, I believe is we have our Southeast regionals. So we're, we're one of the later regionals. So we got another month to go while other people are starting, I believe this weekend. So, is that in Florida? Yeah, it's in, in Jacksonville. There's already like 200 people signed up for that. Damn. Um, I think today's actually the last day to sign up, and I'm deciding whether I want to sign up for that to compete um, because it's with the um, the rule of like the top three in each division automatically qualifying for nationals. If I jump into the uh, equipped open 105s, there might be like one person or no one in there, so I'm, I might be able to just like automatically qualify for open nationals next year in vegas so i might just i'm deciding if i just want to like pay the money and sign up see if there's no one in the division i could just do like the empty bar on squat bench deadlift to qualify and then just go back to refing and working the meet um just to be ready for next year's nationals in case i want to do it um you should so, do it that'd be sick so, yeah i'm still i'm still undecided on that um or the other option is if I end up going to bench nationals, I can just compete at bench nationals like I did last year. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, we got we got regionals coming up in this next week, I think. Uh, we got a bunch of lifters going there. Coach Shane's going. Jay Sean. Uh, 
Chase, quite a few. So it should be should be good. Everyone's looking on track to do well. Yeah, and I got um, I got Shannon competing uh, equipped. She's like one of two people competing equipped at that regionals. Uh, Amazing. And then I got uh, Kate competing as well. She did a couple meets at 57, and now she's going back up to 63s, trying to qualify for that Arnold Battle of the Regionals or whatever. Yeah. Um, started um, this year for the first time. So if they do that again next year, um, they're using the, reg- the region's uh, results. So she's trying to qualify for that to go to the Arnold next year. So that one should have a uh, big crew from uh, Squats and Science team up there. Yep. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for it. And do we have anything else coming up that we need to announce? I don't know if... Uh, so what do you guys got going on at the gym? Uh, you know, just day-to-day, trying to, trying to make them less one-star and improve them a little bit here and there. Yeah, didn't you guys have some kind of, like, uh, fruit-smashing session? <laughs> yeah, we, we had a watermelon-crushing party at, at Jordan's apartment. It was, uh, it was, pretty, it was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah? Were you able to crush the, the watermelon with your thighs? Yeah, I was. I actually was the fastest to do it. <laughs> I did it first try, and it took me like three seconds to do it. So uh, you know, those one twenty thighs—they come in handy. Either that, or maybe you kind of, uh, kind of like uh, loosened up the uh, the watermelon before <laughs> when anyone was looking. Yeah, yeah, that's what Molly did. Jordan, Jordan's fiance, cut it up, and she crushed it without anybody seeing it. It was pretty funny. Cramsey crushed a cantaloupe by hugging it. Which was I, impressive. I saw the picture of he just put like his, his arm around it and just pushed his <laughs> forearm into it. Yeah, it was so ridiculous. <laughs> um, and then yeah. you got, got the, uh, the SNSU coming up. Yeah, so <clears throat> SNSU is looking like it's going to start uh, first week in August. Um, Jordan's kicking it off with the first seminar. We'll be posting that up, um, some information about how to how to access it. Uh, but yeah, we're going to get going on that. Pretty excited. Yeah. So we got a couple more weeks to prepare for that. And then, um, for any gym members, it's free, right? Yep. All, all gym members, it's free. Um, and it's going to become part of our in-person coaching, um, offering like a service to, to complement what we do already. And then we'll probably sell the seminars to outside people. We just haven't, uh, we haven't quite figured that out yet. Yeah, so that just gives uh, everyone another option whether they want to uh, learn from us from uh, online coaching or like the gym coach membership or this podcast. And now we got the uh, the seminars coming up. Yeah, we'll be recording those too and making them accessible online. Uh, not 100% sure how, but they'll be available. Um, so yeah, it's pretty cool. So a lot of, a lot of ways you can learn from us. Cool. I think that covers everything. Yeah, man. That was good. Good show. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. See you guys. Bye, guys.